Morena, good morning everyone. Great uh, that you are tuned in, looking in, whatever it is. Uh, welcome you. We're going to look at something in the book of Revelation today. Uh, it's sort of uh, on on point. It's, it's topical at the moment. There's a lot of noise going on about Revelation. So uh, we're going to do that. In fact, I had a conversation with my neighbor down the road the other day and uh, he'd been having some heated discussions with with some of his employees uh, about the topic of the moment and they would say something like well it's in Revelation and he'd ask them where where in Revelation mostly they didn't know uh, but for some of them what they were referring to is Revelation 13 and 14 so that's where we're going to end up. We're going to start in 13, Revelation chapter 13 today. And two weeks after that, we're going to go to Revelation 14. So, uh, let's start with the big picture of Revelation. Uh, the author was John, probably the Apostle John. And he was an old man by the time he wrote this. Uh, this revelation, these unveilings, he was exiled on the island of Patmos, which is in the Mediterranean, just off the coast of of uh, western Turkey. And uh, as an old man, he was he was there, and he was probably fretting about the churches, the churches that he loved, the people that he loved, and wondering uh, how it's all going to end up. And these churches that he had devoted. His, his life to, his working life to, and how is it all going to end? And so um, this is this is the big question of Revelation, really, is will we survive? Will we survive? And there's, there's dark clouds on the horizon with the Roman Empire and the different emperors and some horrific things that had already taken place against the Christians, the believers. And, and John was fretting and wondering, uh, how is going to end up? What's going to happen? Will we survive? And it says uh, for John, he was in the spirit. He was meditating. And he had these visions. They're called apocalyptic. And that means unveiling. Now, apocalyptic language is, is strange to us, 21st century Western people. It's not our type of language, not the way we communicate. Our language is more uh, concrete and precise. We tend not to use numbers as uh, or fantastic descriptions of beasts with strange animal parts, multiple heads. We, we find that weird. That's not normal. That's weird for us. Uh, and numbers mean numbers. They don't uh, communicate other things but not every language not every culture is like that in Maori for instance uh, so there's a phrase irua no iho ngā tangata which urua means two but irua no iho ngā tangata means a few uh, another example of that is kanui takaha o tafrimatea i tenei rā it's windy day but the actual words of that is the demigod of Tafirimatia has a lot of power. So English doesn't exactly communicate the way in 21st century Western English, the way that other 
cultures, other times used to communicate, particularly if you were under threat and under persecution. But Revelation uses a different type of language, uh, often sort of code language and apocalyptic unveilings. So let's, let's keep that in mind. And uh, it's not the only part of the Bible that uses that type of language. There's other examples, Ezekiel, uh, Zechariah, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and especially, especially Daniel. And especially with our passage today, Revelation 13, is Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. In fact, if someone uh, wants to start throwing Revelation 13, 14 at you, the way I would respond, I would say, well, have you read Daniel, the book of Daniel? And especially have you read Daniel 7? Because you cannot understand Revelation unless you've read Daniel. It's so important to the book of Revelation. Uh, but it's great. If people want to read the Word of God, that's great. That's great. That's a great thing. It's, um, uh, it's wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, so in the first instance... First instance, it was speaking to some churches. It was speaking to some churches in Western Turkey. In fact, there were seven, seven of them. Uh, and there's uh, speaking to them, but uh, also it speaks to us. It speaks to us. Uh, the, f the funny thing was this. There were actually more than seven churches in that part of the world. But seven are chosen, and we know from the book of Colossians, there was a church at Laodicea, a church at Hierapolis, and a church at Colossae, very close to each other. But in Revelation, only one of those is mentioned, Laodicea. And probably the reason for that is seven is a symbolic, a symbolic number in Scripture. Seven indicates perfection, completeness, uh, dating back from the seven days of creation. Uh, but other things like seven angels, seven seals, seven trumpets. And the point is this, the big point is this, that at the same time, the revelation was speaking simultaneously uh, in both a real way and a representative way. The seven churches were real and representative. They were real seven churches, but also they represented other churches, and even, even us, even here and now. Revelation was written to them, but it was also written for us. It speaks to us. And in Revelation 13, uh, there's also some other pictures, some other things. Uh, there's a beast. In fact, there's two beasts. We're just going to look at beast number one today. Beast number one, most biblical scholars identify as a horrific emperor, Nero Caesar. He reigned from AD 54 till his suicide in AD 68. In fact, he killed himself by stabbing himself in the neck at age of 30. Uh, one infamous act of Nero, and he was a brutal and a debauched man. But uh, one thing he's infamous for was using Christians as candles in his garden parties. And so Nero was a beast. He was a beast. And he was real, but also he was representative of other beasts, of other beasts that would come. 
other oppressive uh, dictatorial leaders that would come and would be brutal opponents of the church. Which brings us to us. Brings us to us. However uh, grumpy you are with your present local or national government or both, uh, beast number one is not your local mayor or member of parliament or prime minister. However bad or nasty you think they are, they're not burning up church members at their garden parties. Uh, Nero was neck level beastliness. He was a beast. Uh, and there's been other beasts in history. A town in uh, West Africa uh, we, we've visited. A few weeks ago was visited by jihadists, Islamic jihadists. They said this, we will return and if you do not convert to Islam, we will kill everyone. And in fact, in Burkina Faso at the moment, there's one and a half million displaced people due to the jihadists. You know, that's different to our present situation in New Zealand. You know, that, that sort of thing is, is next, next level beastly. But it's really, really important for us to, to read the book of Daniel to understand Revelation. And particularly for Revelation 13 is Daniel 7. Daniel helps us answer Revelation's big question. Will we survive? Will we survive? Will we survive Babylon reincarnated? Will we survive Rome? The answer from 700 years previous resounded strongly across the millennia that would follow. And the emphatic answer is yes, yes, yes. You can survive Babylon. You can survive Rome. You can survive Burkina Faso. Whatever beast Satan throws up against his called out people, his chosen ones, we can survive. In fact, Daniel shows us we in fact can thrive in Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, he was a beast. He set up a huge 27-meter-high statue of gold, commanded everyone in his kingdom to come and bow down and worship it or die. Interesting thing about Daniel, though, in Daniel, at the start of Daniel, Daniel perceived that for he and his young friends that had been brought from Babylon to be trained as young interns in the Babylonian palace, Daniel perceived in chapter 1 that in fact it would not be the oppressive violence of Babylon, not the occultic practices and the occultic practitioners of Babylon, not the language and literature of Babylon that he and his mates were forced to learn. The greatest threat, the thing most likely to defile them, to destroy their faith, was the luxury of Babylon, the lavishness of Babylon. That was hugely dangerous to them. The rich food and drink of Babylon that would dilute their faith, that luxury that would flatter their egos, uh, that could numb their spirits and block their ears to the voice of God. Daniel perceived that was really dangerous to them. One of our neighbors said, I don't read Revelation. It's too scary. I agree. Revelation is scary. But not Revelation 13 and 14. That, that's comforting, really. Uh, the scariest part of Revelation for us in the Western church is not Revelation 13, but Revelation chapter 3. John's message to the church at the wealthy town of Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold. 
You are lukewarm. And unless you change, I will spit you out. You're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. Unless you change, I'll spit you out. That's scary. That's scary. <laughs> In Africa, we had guys that would cycle two hours each way to church and back in 40 degree heat to come to church. We had people that were abused and slandered all the time because of their faith. I heard of one pastor that was poisoned to death. A pastor we worked with, uh, at times he was hungry and his family were hungry uh, because he refused to take a more lucrative offer because God had not called him to leave his post at, at ministry in the church. Um, but we see here the a dragon clearly at work against the church. At church. Uh, here in New Zealand, people look out the window and they, they, they wonder, shall I go to church today? Or shall I go to the beach? Or go shopping or do the lawns? If I have any leftover money, shall Maybe I'll give that change to God, or if I can balance all the many family pastimes, I might serve in a ministry to God. Uh, here at Laodicea, this shoe is not so much that we can't fully worship God, it's more we choose not to. And I so, uh, in terms of Revelation, I find Revelation scary. I find Revelation chapter 3 very scary. Revelation 3 should give us nightmares. So let's read something less scary. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. The first beast, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on the horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was a leopard. Its feet, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power, and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in he heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe, and people, and language, and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Three things from this passage about the power of beast number one. There's two beasts, remember, in Revelation 13. 
the power of beast number one. First thing is the origin, the origin of the power of beast number one. Verse two, and to it, the beast, the dragon, gave his power and his throne and great authority. This is where the power of beast number one comes from. comes from the dragon, from Satan. The beast from the sea is more than just humans being humans. There's a dark spiritual force going on. It's from the dragon. It's from Satan. Behind every evil oppressive act of, of, of humanity, of, of, of powerful uh, oppressive leaders like Nero, that's Satan. And by worshipping the beast, uh, power of the beast is worship of the dragon. From verse 11, we see a second beast, but the first one comes out of the sea. His power of that beast comes from the dragon, from Satan. So uh, the origin of the power of the beast. And second thing is the extension of the power of the beast. It, it's quite extensive. It's a large scope, a large reach of the power of the beast. It had a mouth to offer proud words and blasphemies against God. He slandered God's people, verse 7, to make war against the saints and conquer them. That's not good. He, verse 7, he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, nation. That's not good. Therefore, verse 10, if anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. Here's a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Some bad things will happen to the community of faith. This is what that says. To the saints, it won't end always on earth here, happily ever after. For every follower of Jesus. But there's, there's good news. There's good news. And there's two bits of good news, actually. Uh, first one is duration. So we've, we've looked at um, the origin, and we looked at extension of the power of the beast. Now we're going to look at the, the duration. The duration of the power of the beast. It's for a limited time, verse 5. For 42 months, that's three and a half years. Um, so it's not a literal three and a half years. And in the same way, the thousand years mentioned later, it's, it's a symbol. But it means a short amount of time. And it's a kind of a parody of the three and a bit years of Jesus' ministry. The power of the beast is real, but it does not last forever. Historically, after Nero, uh, there were other beasts, oppressive, murderous Roman emperors and local authorities. But it didn't last forever. It was off and on persecution of the Christians for 300 years, roughly. Um, and Rome was uh, at the same time being changed from the inside out. From the inside out. Soldiers, uh, slaves, others were starting to come to faith in Jesus. And it was having an effect on, on institutions like slavery, like infanticide, like, like killing of babies. The immorality of Roman life was changing from the inside. Uh, then in 312 AD, something amazing happened. The uh, Roman general, Constantine, was in the midst of battle, was about to go to war, and he had this vision of, uh, I don't know exactly, but it had crosses in it. And um, 
and it was a conversion to some extent, a conversion experience of Constantine. One year later, 313, Christianity was decriminalized. And in uh, 14, Rome itself was defeated. Never again would Rome dominate the world. You know, there's a time frame, a duration to oppression. Three and a half years, 42 months, you know, it's real. Uh, there is hard oppression, persecution, but it doesn't last forever. And we see this pattern again and again. Temporary victories of the dragon and his beast, but it doesn't last forever. God wins. God wins. The lamb wins. And finally, the exception. The exception of the power of the beast. Verse 8. Everyone will worship the beast except those who have their names written in the book of the Lamb. Those who belong to the Lamb who was slain. They are the exception to the power of the beast. And therefore, verse 10, here's a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Did you notice that it was saints, not saint? Saints. Not saint, it's plural. Biblical sainthood is almost always plural. There's 67 uses of the word uh, saints. And only one of them, once, is it saint. It's in Philippians 4.21. Even in that instance, it's uh, the plurality of the saints is in view. Every saint, it says. Which is why Revelation is not really written to isolated, grumpy individuals who spend their wee small hours uh, on the internet looking for rabbit holes to go down into. Revelation is primarily uh, a letter of encouragement to the saints, to uh, communities of faith. And if you are uh, by yourself, isolated, and um, reading Revelation, oh, that's great. It's always good to read the Word of God. But let me invite you to become, to become part of a community of faith. This is really what this letter was written for, the community of faith, those who follow the land. I invite you to come and join us. Join a community of faith. So saints, in a biblical sense, is not some super nice person who lets you come. No, it's, it's, it's being part of the community of faith, those who follow Jesus. We invite you to join that. And do you want to know how the story ends? This is how the story ends. The climax is coming. Hang on, it's coming. When you get to the end of the book, this is what it describes in Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Behold, I'm coming, says Jesus. And it's prefigured in the book of Daniel, 700 years previous. This is what Daniel saw in chapter 7, verse 13. Daniel 7, starting from chapter 13. Daniel says, in my vision, in the night I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given dominion, glory, kingship, and the people of every nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Hallelujah. Take that beast. 
number one, and every beast that will come, his kingdom will never pass away. His dominion will last forever. We're talking about Jesus, and he comes, he comes. Uh, will we survive? Yes, we will. We can thrive, even in Babylon, even in Rome, even in New Zealand. And bless you, bless you. Uh, have a great day.